What you see is what you get. Hello, my name is Pastor Chris Miller, and I am your host on the PC Speaking Podcast, where we are equipping Christians for life. Hello, and welcome back to the PC Speaking Podcast. Great to have you along again this week. As always, I appreciate your time. Um, If you listened to last week's episode, I put out the podcast, and I was listening to it on my morning walk, and which I do sometimes. It's always fun to listen to your voice when it's been recorded. We all love doing that. But one of the things I noticed that I said was, I know there are some selfish people out there, but I'm not one of them. Uh, of course, I meant to say there are some genuinely unselfish people out there, but I'm not one of them. So if you were one of those who listened um, to the past episode this past week, uh, that was a mistake on my part. I didn't mean to say that, but I guess that happens sometimes. I uh, I took the episode down for now. I may re-record it at some point. We'll see how we go. But we are moving on to other things. Um, been working with our team to put together a one year through the Bible reading plan for uh, 2024 that will begin at the first of the year. And the plan is, is that it will incorporate Old and New Testament readings Monday through Friday, a reading from Psalms and Proverbs on Saturday, and then a memory verse for the week's reading on Sunday, which we'll talk about in church on Sunday. And then I'll put it out as a podcast as well. But if you're interested in participating in that, we'd certainly love to have you come along for the journey. If you'd like to do the reading, um, I'll be putting some more information out about that in the future, how you can get that. It's maybe a a PDF download or something. I'm sure we'll have some other resources that we put out with it, but something to be thinking about for next year. And that uh, definitely brings some challenges along with it. So I'd certainly appreciate your prayer and your participation in that. But we're doing that in part because it's important to read the Bible for many reasons, not least of them being the fact that Scripture is the backbone and foundation of Western culture. A lot of people don't realize that, but it really is. And it'd be wise for anyone to take the time to read and understand the Bible, even if they're only doing it for that reason. And there are many important things in Scripture, and there are many things people don't understand about Scripture. There's things that I don't understand about Scripture, and you probably don't either. Um, but a lot of people have different questions about it. Why Why is there an Old Testament? Why is there a New Testament? What's the difference? Why don't we follow all those uh, seemingly strange laws of the Old Testament? Many passages in the Bible are difficult to understand. They take some time, some prayer, some study to get uh, a grip on what they're about. And with some of them, sometimes we might even wonder why they're there. Why do we have stories about Abraham, Noah, Moses, Jonah, all these different Bible characters? Why are there different events recorded in the Bible? Because we know that there were all kinds of events that weren't recorded, all kinds of people who you know didn't make it into Scripture. But the ones that are there are there for a reason. And I love reading all those stories, but why are these different people and events in the Bible? Well, there are many reasons, but today we're going to start a series involving one of the reasons that some of those things are there in Scripture, and it's going to be types and shadows. 
And in this series, it's my goal that you and I might gain a better understanding of the Bible and in turn, a better understanding of Jesus and the gospel. And then as we gain more understanding that with that might come more confidence in scripture, in understanding the Bible, which can equate to being better able to talk about your faith, better able to dialogue about scripture and tell people about the gospel. As we gain more confidence in the Bible, we're more able to talk about it. And you may be familiar with the term types and shadows, or you may be unfamiliar with it. Um, If you aren't familiar with it, you're probably wondering what I mean by that. And so what we'll do is we'll start off by defining what types and shadows are, what what that means. Like I said, it might sound a little strange if it's not something you're familiar with, but types and shadows are symbolic representations that point to a greater spiritual reality or truth. In particular, types and shadows refer to elements, events, or characters in the Old Testament that foreshadow or prefigure something in the New Testament, particularly related to Jesus Christ and the work of salvation. So they serve as a symbolic representation or symbolic representations that point to greater spiritual truths and realities. And types are Old Testament persons, uh, sometimes things or events that serve as a pattern or symbol of something in the New Testament. For example, the Passover lamb in the Old Testament is a type of Jesus, the Lamb of God in the New Testament. And we'll actually be talking about that one because that's a pretty pretty big one, pretty well-known one. Excuse me. Shadows are Old Testament elements that provide an outline or silhouette of something that becomes more clear in the New Testament, something that existed in the Old Testament that foreshadows something that is explained in the New Testament. For instance, ceremonial law in the Old Testament. People often wonder why that's there and what it's all about. All kinds of different ritual practices and different kinds of offerings, sacrifices, some of the blood sacrifices. The Old Testament sacrificial system with its offerings, rituals, can be seen as a shadow of the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Jesus is the fulfillment of those things, and those things point to him. And these types and shadows are useful in helping us understand God's plan, gaining confidence in understanding Scripture and how God fulfills his plan in the New Testament. Um, another positive to types and shadows is that they're very powerful when it comes to showing us the continuity of the connection between the Old and New Testament, because sometimes the people miss that. And when you start to notice the connection, it just it opens up a whole new world of understanding. It makes it much more colorful. Um, and there are many types and shadows in the Old Testament. Some of them are obvious. Some of them are very well known. Some of them maybe less so, maybe a little more obscure, but they all point to Jesus and show how he ultimately clarifies and makes those complete. And we're going to look at six of them um, because five's not enough and seven's too many. And to begin with, we're going to go back to the very first man, very beginning of the Bible, Adam. And Paul writes about Adam as a type of Christ in the book of Romans. And he also talks about the same topic in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll be reading from both of those passages today. And Paul sometimes writes things that require a fair bit of concentration. Um, 
if you've read Paul, study the things that he writes, sometimes, not all of it, but some of it is is challenging. It takes, uh, yeah, you have to pay attention to catch it. So we're going to read from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. And like I say, this takes a bit of concentration to grasp what he's talking about, but we're going to read it and then we'll expound on it. In Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. It says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Verse 18, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, that clears things right up, doesn't it? That's kind of a confusing passage. Like I say, it takes a bit of concentration to read that. And remember, types are Old Testament persons, things or events that serve as a pattern or symbol of something in the New Testament. And in this passage, Paul is showing Adam as a type, a person who serves as a pattern of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. He actually calls him that, a type. And there are two very big claims Paul makes in this passage regarding understanding the gospel and how it relates to each and every one of us. And something I've thought about in the past in a fair bit is how is Adam a type of Christ? You know, how is he a pattern or a symbol of Jesus? Because they did very different things with very different results, but almost every, you know, Bible commentator and theologian refers to Adam as a type of Christ. Even Paul refers to Adam as a type here in verse 14. Well, verse 19, uh, we're going to read verse 19 again, and we're going to read from 1 Corinthians 15, 22. Uh, we'll start with verse 19, Romans 5, 19. This is what it says. It says, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 goes along with that verse well, and it says this, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now, Paul makes two all-encompassing claims for all people for all time here. Death and sin enter the world through the actions of Adam, which affects all people. We all die. And Jesus has defeated death and sin, which is for all people. And as I say, those are very big claims to say that 
one man has done something that affects all people. And as we think about Adam in the garden, disobedience, death enters the world. Was Adam's disobedience so powerful and far-reaching that everyone is condemned because of it? Well, the answer is yes, we all die, but at the same time, we don't really need Adam's help. When God created the world, it was perfect. And our passage begins today by telling us that sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death is the result of that. And I think it's helpful to understand that God didn't create people to experience death. Um, he created people to live forever. Before Adam and Eve sinned, they lived in the garden without sin or death, and you know they could, could have lived like that for quite, quite some time. We don't really know. God gave them one command to follow. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they disobeyed God's command, death entered the world as a consequence of that. So Adam's sin affects everyone because we all face the same consequence of death. And then verse 12 says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, Adam, and death through sin, the consequence of Adam's sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. And that's exactly what God said would happen when he told him, you know, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you do, you're going to die. So what God said is exactly what happened. And today we still experience the consequence of death that came through Adam's sin. You know, nobody's getting out of here alive. We are, nobody, none of us avoid that consequence. Adam did one action and everyone who is part of, participates, or shares in his image, shares the same consequence. And that's every single one of us. You know, as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, why, why, why do people die? Why death? You know, we have a Christian answer for it, but I was curious to maybe find out what, I don't know, some secular answers, other cultures, other spiritual beliefs might have to say about it. And I, Googled around and asked chat EPT and, um, you know, why do we die? And that's a question people have always wrestled with probably, yeah, well, since the beginning of time. But the great majority of the answers centered around physical causes. Um, you know, it's like the greatest, biggest cause of death in the world is uh, infectious disease, I believe. And But that's not really... <laughs> what I, the answer I was looking for. And I looked for spiritual answers and there was talk about different beliefs on what happens, you know, after a person dies. Um, there's an evolutionary idea that says, it, you know, death gives life a sense of urgency or a time frame for figuring out life's purpose, I suppose, whatever that means. But I didn't find much in the way of an answer to the question, you know, why death? Why does it exist in when, you know, why do we die? Why does death exist? And most answers really come down to simply saying we die because we do. And if you're searching for an answer to that question, why does death exist? Um, outside of Adam and death being the consequence of sin, it's very difficult to find any kind of satisfactory answer. At least I think so. And that's one of the reasons we have the account of the fall of Adam in the Bible, it provides us with an answer as to why there is death in the world, not only for us, but in general. 
And that points us to another question that leads to another understanding. Paul says that through one man, sin entered the world. Adam, who is a type of him who is to come, but also that through one man, many shall be made righteous and Christ shall all be made alive. And again, verse 19 says, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam, all die, even so in Christ, shall all be made alive. And if the sinum Adam equates to death for all, the next question is, you know, does the obedience of Christ truly make many righteous? If the sin of Adam is that far reaching, is the obedience of Christ as far reaching? And we've talked about the gospel many times. It usually works its way in a, you know, pretty much every week. And the gospel is the very bold claim that Jesus paid the sin debt of the world. And through him, we are made righteous and reconciled to God. And saying that one man paid the sin debt of the world is just as big, if not an even bigger claim than saying sin entered the world through one man. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 47 through 49 as well. They say the first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man was the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. In comparison of Adam and Jesus in Romans and 1 Corinthians, we see Adam as a type of Christ. He's an Old Testament person who serves to show a New Testament pattern. As by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many were made righteous. The actions of one man are far reaching for all. In Romans chapter five, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul shows Adam to be a type of Christ because he did something that carries consequences for all who bear or participate in his image. And the same is true for Jesus. He did something that has consequences for all those who bear or participate in his image. And that's why Adam is a type of Christ. The disobedience of the one has consequences for those who share in his image, which is all of us because we're all descended from Adam. And the obedience of Jesus has consequences for all those who share in his image, those who have believed the gospel and trusted Jesus as Savior. And, you know, there's other ways you can draw that out, making that comparison um, as Adam as a type of Christ. Both were tempted by Satan. Adam is in paradise with, you know, all he could want, all he could need, not hungry, but when tempted by Satan, he eats from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then Jesus is fasting in the wilderness for 40 days without food, cold at night, hot during the day, living out amongst the wild animals. And when he's tempted by Satan, he obeys God. You can also make a comparison that um, Adam's sin brought a curse. The ground was cursed, brought forth thorns and thistles. He lived by the sweat of his brow, ate from it by the sweat of his brow. And then Jesus um, in the New Testament uh, carries that 
curse, a crown of thorns on his brow to the cross. Um, lots of comparisons to be made there. Um, I want to shift gears and turn a little corner here. And we've been talking about Adam's sin, how it affects us all. And one of the things that often comes up, you know, there's just, there's the belief that, you know, we're trying to, uh, I guess you could call remedy with the gospel. The belief that, you know, you, you, you get to God by doing good things. But the reality is this Adam's sin affects us all and nobody can escape that. It's only through Christ that we can be reconciled with God. But then there's, you know, sometimes the question comes up, well, what about really good people? And there are some really good people in the world. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with admitting that. Um, I'm not one of them, but there are many. And people often think that God accepts us for doing good things or being a good person and keeping God's commands and all that stuff. And, but let's say hypothetically, someone does keep all of God's commands. Um, it doesn't happen, but what if it did? Or what if somebody doesn't have God's commands? Or what if you don't know them? What if you're ignorant? You know, there's 613 Levitical laws in the Old Testament. Um, of course, some of them are civil laws and ceremonial law, and, but there's a lot of moral law and over, you know, crossover between them and things like that. And if you think, can you recite all of those? And I don't think any of us can. We are ignorant of some things. Uh, would it be fair that an ignorant person suffers the consequence of sin if they don't know the law, if they don't know God's commands, if they say, per se, don't know um, what God says is wrong. Is it fair that they would also suffer the consequence of sin, the death that came into the world through Adam? I mean, that doesn't sound very fair, does it? You know, unfairness, equality are very important to people. What about people who... Don't break the Old Testament law. Um, what if someone could pull that off? And there, you know, there actually have been people who did not break it, mainly because it didn't exist during their lifetime. Um, and our passage, you know, answers to that. It says in verse 13 and 14, it says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. Between the time that Adam sinned and death entered the world, up until the time of Moses, you know, and he led the Israelites out of Egypt, received the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. In between that, um, Adam and Moses, there, there was no biblical law. It didn't exist yet. God hadn't given it, hadn't revealed it yet. And that covers a time period of about 3,500 years. And the Bible tells us that sin was still in the world at that time. People still suffered the consequence of sin. But it, the Bible also tells us that sin is not imputed or accounted or credited when there is no law. And, you know, you can't break a law that doesn't exist. But the Bible also tells us that nevertheless, the consequences of sin was still in effect from Adam to Moses, which is, death. People still died. They're still suffering the consequence of Adam's sin. So people are suffering the consequence of sin affected, you know, and that affected all people before God's law was made known. Even though people didn't break a specific command like Adam did, they couldn't break a command that they didn't have. 
but they still sin. And how is that possible? Well, I think there are two answers to that question. Um, one is that as human beings, we have inherited the sin nature of Adam. It's part of every one of us. And the Bible tells us in Psalm 51.5 that we come into the world as sinners. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 tells us that we are all by nature disobedient and subject of God's wrath. And the second part, the answer to that question is, I think you find it in Romans chapter 2, it tells us that God has written his law on our hearts. You know, we naturally know what's right and wrong. People have some concept of that, an idea of what, is sin and what's not, even if they don't know God's law. So sin still exists without the Old Testament law, and there is guilt in knowledge of sin with or without knowledge of that law. So no one can claim innocence through ignorance. And the fact that the consequence of sin, death, reigned from Adam until Moses proves that. Regardless of how much we do or don't know about God's commands, we all live under the consequence of Adam's sin. Adam is archetypical. We are all like him in that we all sin. All people share his nature. And in Galatians chapter three, Paul tells us that the law is our teacher. It shows us that we are sinful. Um, biblical commandments, you know, they're, they're good, they're right, um, they're not just about control. They give us a roadmap for navigating a world where death reigns. Uh, but also very importantly, the law shows us that we're sinful. And we can, you know, we can look at a list of biblical commands and say, yeah, I've, I've broken some of those. We can look at the Ten Commandments and say, yeah, I've probably broken some of those. I share in the nature and image of Adam, also his transgression. So therefore, yeah, I, I'm going to suffer the same consequence. But is it fair that sin is imputed based on one man's disobedience? We all suffer death because one man sinned. I'm sinful because I share in the nature of Adam. I inherited that nature. It's, yeah, a sinful nature has been imputed to me based on the disobedience of Adam. The, the one action of Adam. And some may say, well, that's not fair. Um, but let's take one thing. We all know is sinful. You know, if you pick one, it probably a good one is probably going to be lying. I bet a lot of people probably say, okay, what's, what's one thing that's wrong and sinful? People just say lying. You know, even if they don't know God's law, haven't read the commandments, that's one of those things that's written on people's hearts. We know we shouldn't do that. And we really only need that one thing. In the course of our life, your life, my life, how many times have you lied? How many times have I lied? Probably many, many times. How many times then have we transgressed against God? How many times have we sinned against God? Now, if Adam transgressed once and the consequence of one sin was death for all, for all time, then well, what would be a fair consequence for our multitude of sins? Let's read verses 15 through 18. They say, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense, many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned for the judgments which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. 
but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Again, that stuff sometimes takes a fair bit of concentration. But Adam is a type of Christ in that the disobedience of the one has consequences for all who share in his image. The obedience of Jesus has consequences for all those who share in his image, those who have believed the gospel and trusted Jesus as Savior. So is it fair that sin is imputed to all based on one man's disobedience? And it's important that we understand that. But, you know, of course, I don't like that that question because, um, well, it, I just don't like that question. That's a tough one. But it, it leads me to another question. If the consequences of Adam's one sin was death, what would be the fair consequences of my multitude of sins? Well, when we look at it from that point of view, suffering the eternal consequences of condemnation, um, for a multitude of sins in a fiery hell doesn't really seem that unfair. If one sin was enough to bring death into the world, what might the consequences be for a multitude of sins? But here's a nicer question. Is it fair that righteousness is imputed on what one man's obedience? Because of the obedience of Jesus, is it fair that righteousness is imputed on those who have a multitude of sins. Now, you might notice that the term the free gift is mentioned several times in our passage. I think it's five. And a free gift that overcomes not one sin, but a multitude of sins. Verse 16 says, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. And the sacrifice of Jesus his shed blood results in justification before God who, for those who share in his image or trust him as savior. He was obedient. He did not sin. But because he suffered the consequence as a righteous man, he offers you and I the opportunity to share in his righteousness. Now, the gospel isn't fair. Sometimes people think, oh, you know, it's God fair, this, that. Well, it's not about fair. If it were fair, a righteous man would not have to die for the sins of many. Our passage mentions the free gift, as I said, several times. I think it's five times. And God offers that free gift to you, the gift of his son and the sacrifice he made on the cross for you. He shed, shed his blood. He died so that you and I might live eternally with him. And that one action of his is for all who share in his image. And that he offers that as a free gift. And the thing about a free gift, when you think about it, you can't work for a free gift. You can't earn a free gift. You don't deserve a free gift. You know, if any of those things were true, they wouldn't, it wouldn't, it'd no longer be a free gift. All you can do with a free gift is accept it. And my question to you is, will you accept the gift that God is offering you? Because we all share in the image of Adam. We're all people. We all 
share in his nature, a sinful nature. We all suffer the consequence of his sin in that we all suffer death. But God offers us a free gift through his son, Jesus Christ, in that he died on the cross and shed his blood for each one of us, and that through him, we can share in his righteousness, be reconciled to God and spend eternity in heaven with him. And I certainly hope that is you. And if it's not you, you can pray where you are, recognizing your need of a savior, recognize that we all share in Adam's nature. We need forgiveness of sin and we need Jesus Christ and the free gift of salvation that comes through him. And I hope that you understand that and I hope that you accept Christ. Well, that's all I've got for you today. And I hope uh, that was not too confusing. That passage from Paul can certainly be a challenge, but I'm looking forward to going to the rest of this series over the next several weeks on types and shadows. And I hope that you'll come along with me. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let me know what you think in the comments. Please consider subscribing and sharing this with someone who might find it helpful. 